Hello and welcome to Franklin Covey's weekly on leadership series. I'm Scott Miller and I serve as your host and interviewer. Our guest today has a remarkable journey and story to share. Although maybe not yet a household name, I promise you at the end of this conversation, you will be captivated by her story, her inspiring perseverance, and it will give you a new lease on putting in perspective your own challenges. Joining me is Terea Pitt. Terea, welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Terea, you've joined us from Australia, where you're on the other side of the world. We tape here live from Salt Lake City. We're honored that you came up early this morning to join us. Uh, you've authored many books around your journey, including this one that's uh, fairly readily available in America called Everything to Live For. I'm going to guess that most of our guests don't know yet your journey, but I'd like you to recreate it for us because obviously just from having you on camera, you have some physical scars on your face. In fact, over 65% of your body was burned in a horrific accident in Australia. I'd like you to take the next, um, as long as you'd like really, and kind of recreate your journey with us so that all of our listeners and viewers can get a better sense for kind of where you've been and where you've come and where you are. Okay, thank you so much for that, Scott. Um, so in 2011, I was working as a mining engineer in Outback Australia, I had a great job working at a, at a diamond mine and I always loved running and I always loved exercise for me. It was, it was a form of stress management um, and how after a really busy day or a really hard day at the mine, I could go for a run, think about all of my challenges and at the end feel really good about where I was in my life and be able to get up the next day and do it all again. So. I liked endurance running, long distance running, so I decided to sign up to an ultra marathon. And an ultra marathon is usually around uh, 100 kilometers, or I guess for you guys in the US, that would be around 60 miles. So I signed up to do an ultra marathon. And about a quarter of the way through the race, I became trapped in a narrow gorge, and I was trapped with six other runners at the time. And I don't know if you know what the Venturi effect is. Um, I guess it's kind of like an engineering term. But if there's a lot of heat and in a small space, which was the gorge that we were trapped in, um, it has a suction effect on the fire. So we were at one edge of the gorge. We could see the fire at the other edge and the fire got sucked through the gorge at a really, really fast rate, almost too fast for us to do really anything about it. And I ended up getting burnt really badly to 65%, like you said, Scott. I looked down at my hands and arms, they were both ablaze, they were on fire. But it all happened really fast and after the fire had passed, I guess I got this real, real sh shot of adrenaline because I thought, oh my God, I've survived, I've survived this crazy, like, wholly out there experience and I'm still standing. But I didn't know then that that would, that was a, that wouldn't be the hardest point in my entire journey because I ended up waking up a month later in a hospital in Sydney. And that was really where the real work of my journey began because I was completely incapacitated. I couldn't talk, I couldn't walk, I couldn't stand. I couldn't bend my elbows. So I really had to go through this process of, of not only physical rehabilitation, but also 
mental rehabilitation as well. And I've always really loved setting goals. I think when you set a really big goal, it almost forces you to step outside of yourself. And so in hospital, I got told I wouldn't run again. And I thought, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do an Ironman one day. And I don't know if you know what an Ironman Scott is, but sure. It's, you've probably heard about them. Yeah, um, our CEO, Bob Whitman, is, I think, maybe a 17-year attendee at the Kona Ironman every year. Yeah, so that, that was the Ironman that I wanted to do, Scott, all of those years ago. And I'm really grateful that I had that goal because that was one of the driving forces to push myself in physio, to push myself in rehab, to get back into running, to start swimming, all of those little small incremental steps. Um, which I worked on every single day, built me up to a stage where I was ready to do my first Ironman, which was one in Australia. And then I got an invite to Kona. And for people who do Ironman or triathlon, they kind of know that Kona is a really, really big deal. And it's also quite challenging, but I ended up doing Kona in 2016. So I was really proud of myself over those, I guess those five years because I didn't, I didn't let what people said to me stop me. I mean, I took their advice on board and I listened to it and I weighed it carefully. But I also knew that there was an element in, sometimes you just have to back yourself and believe in yourself. And more than that, you really have to be willing to put in the work and, and be persistent and persevere with it as well. Are you comfortable backing up a little bit and recreating yeah. a little more um, methodically for our audience the fire? Because you know the, a compelling part of your book and your story, you've yeah. been on 60 Minutes, and you're actually quite well-known worldwide for your journey. The, the fire was uh, a remarkable event in terms of you trying to escape it and hide from it. Can you, can you talk about how, what that was like to the extent you can remember it when it was actually happening? Yeah, for sure. So... Like I said, the, the fire was moving very, very quickly. So it was, a, um, I guess, a split-second decision I made. Do I go back the way I came, but there was really high grass up to about my shoulder, or do I try to go up the side of the gorge? There was less vegetation, so less fuel for the fire. But I also knew that fire travels faster going uphill. I think the rate of a fire doubles for every extra 10 degrees of incline. So they were my choices. Neither one of them were particularly appealing. And like I said, it was a split second decision. I chose to run up the side of the gorge. That was the way that I went. And I did try to hide in a little depression in amongst the gorge, in amongst the rocks, um, but it was, just, it was just too hot and I couldn't, I couldn't stay there. Um, and then like I explained to you before, Scott, the fire, evidently caught me and it, it burnt me. I mean, the, the story is remarkable in your book. Uh, I'm not quite sure where to, where to start, right? Because your, your journey is so inspiring, your commitment to rehabilitate yourself, to yeah. um, become an athlete again. I'm, 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 an emotional, I'm emotional listening to you right now. What, what are the big lessons that you've learned about life since the fire in your recovery? Well, there's, there are so, so many lessons that I've learned. 
I think the first thing I had to learn was how to accept help. And I, I don't think many of us are very good at that. I'm sure you've had experiences, Scott, where you're really stressed out and you've got a lot on your plate and maybe, you know, people might offer their help and you might not take it on or whatever. So I think learning how to accept help was a really big milestone for me um, because at the end of the day, I had to accept help. I had to accept help from people around me because there was things that at that time I physically could not do for myself. And the other key thing I think was really important for my recovery in particular was having a really good team of people around me because I think especially when you're trying to achieve something, whether that's in your business or in your life, it's very difficult to do that all by yourself as well. And you really need a team of, of really good people around you who are supporting you, who are believing in your vision that you're trying to achieve, but also who aren't necessarily yes people. They might not tell you what you want to hear, but their advice and their guidance at the same time, you still very much value. So I was really lucky in a way. I have a really beautiful partner and he was that person for me. He didn't always tell me, yes, anything's possible and you can do this and you can do that. I knew he had my back. Um, and throughout my whole journey so far, he has been a great a great sounding board and a great, a great guide uh, for me and for me and my journey as well. Your physical appearance today is remarkable compared to you know, the pictures that I've seen of you earlier in your journey and with all the skin grafts and the... Yeah. the reconstructive work. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. In your, in your book and in much of, the, much of the material, you're wearing a black mask, obviously. Can you yeah. share with our viewing audience uh, why you were wearing the mask, how long you wore it, when you yeah, took sure. it off and why? Yeah, sure. So I, when you get burnt, they normally would recommend that you wear, well, sorry, I should say if you're burnt in a developed country like Australia or like America, they recommend that you wear a compression garment to help your scars heal yeah. better. So that was what the mask was. It was a compression garment that I that I had to wear. I wore it for two years and, you know, part of me wanted to, wanted to hide away, but another part of me thought, like, it's so obvious. I looked like a bank robber. I had, you know, I was wearing the mask and my driver's license photo and all my passport photos. And I guess for me, that was a really good lesson in just owning yourself because at the end of the day, if you can hold your head high, if you walk with your shoulders back, if you're proud of who you are, then people can't really comment on how you appear or your appearance or your choices either. So even though part of me wanted to stay at home and hide, another part of me thought, no, stuff it. Like, this is me. You have, I had to be proud of myself and I had to walk around with my head high and I guess wear it like a boss in a sense. Um, and after two years, the process came for me to learn to have my mask off. And people always ask me about what that experience was like, but it wasn't like one day I wore my mask and then the next day, I was on national television without my mask. I just took it really slowly and just made small, consistent, incremental steps. So for example, if some friends came over, I would take my mask off. 
And then if I went for a walk around the block, I would go without my mask. So it was just about taking those small little baby steps that when you take them as they are, they seem almost irrelevant. But when you build on them and you allow them to add up, I think that's where you can see progress. And I think that's the approach I've taken with my whole journey. It's not like one day I was in a hospital bed and then the next day I was crossing the Kona Ironman finishing line. It was one day I walked five steps, the next day I walked 10 steps, the next day I did three stairs, the day after that I only did one stair, the next day I walked 20 steps, you know. It was just about taking those small incremental baby steps, but taking them every single day and being consistent with them as well. You've written about this, which is why I'm gonna talk about it. You, I think, use the words, as you look back on pictures of what you looked like, which is just remarkable. Yeah. You refer to yourself as a, you know, an attractive female. You were extraordinarily attractive. And, and how do you reconcile what you've learned about physical beauty and the judgments that we make and, and, and apparent attractiveness with your life now after how many sur surgeries? Um, 200. Well, I, I think that's a really good question, Scott. I mean, you can take someone who is physically perfect, but they might not be able to say that about themselves. So therefore they might not carry themselves with confidence and with attitude and with swagger and with zest. And so, I guess this might be a bit arrogant, but I have, I still find myself attractive now. And I think, you know, I, I, I wear makeup, I wear nice clothes. I have a really handsome partner. We have a really great relationship. So I think it's more about what you think about yourself and how you present yourself to the world. And I mean, you know, I do these speeches in front of really large audiences. And if you think about my prep for that speech, if I rocked up, I didn't brush my teeth. I wore my pajamas. I wore my Ugg boots. I stayed up late the night before and I was really tired. I probably wouldn't really feel that confident. I wouldn't really feel like I was able to go out there on the stage and kill it. Whereas if I wake up in the morning, I do my gratitude practices. I I go get a workout in, I feel really good about myself. I'm wearing a, a really fun and cool outfit that I feel really good about myself in it. Um, my makeup's done, my hair's brushed, my teeth are brushed. I feel ready and feel like I'm able to go. If I'm set up for a speech like that, I'm far more confident and, and I feel like I'm putting my best foot forward as well. So I like to say, you know, our confidence our appearance for sure helps us to be more confident, but it's not the only facet that makes up our confidence either. What have you learned about uh, how we judge each other and what we believe to be you know, sort of socially acceptable and the judgment of others on you? I imagine yeah. you've learned a lot about how differently people treat you from your, from your physical appearance now. What, what insight can you share with everybody captivated right now at your journey that might change you know, I, the way we treat others quite naturally based on what we see at face value you know what that's that's a really interesting point scott and i would say that the person who judges judges us the most is ourselves mm -hmm. so if you're walking into a meeting and you're 
voice inside your head is saying, you're an idiot. You're going to stuff this up. You haven't prepared. You don't know what you're talking about. Everyone's going to find out that you're a fraud. Then, of course, that's going to affect how you behave in that meeting. Whereas if the voice inside your head is saying, you've done so well, you've done all the work, you've got this, you just go in there, you know what you're talking about, and you put your best foot forward, that as well will obviously affect your performance in that meeting. So I found if I haven't judged myself, if I've tried to be kind to myself, if I've talked to myself like I would talk to a really good friend, then everyone around me treats me very normally and very much the same. Does that make sense it to does. you, Scott? It does. Can you think yeah. of any examples from your life where that would hold true? Yeah, what, I, what I'm thinking about right now is thinking about my children, right? I have three young boys yeah. that are five, eight, and nine. And I'm thinking about how I can be a better parent to them to look past what is the obvious, right? And to think about yeah. the beauty in and with people. And it's a struggle, right? Because, you know, much of our society is based on what we see and the quick judgments that we make about ourselves and about, about other people as well. Yeah, I think... Uh and in a way, those stereotypes, they help us, yeah, because we don't have time when we're on our way to work and we've got to pick up our dry cleaning. Right. We have to drop our kids right. off. You know, we help probably don't have time to sit quickly, down and perhaps. analyze everything that we're seeing. But I guess if you're a parent, and I know I'll do this with my, with my kids, is just to encourage them not to assume they know the whole story about someone's life. Well said. Right. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. It's been just shy of 10 years since this uh, life-altering incident. What was the hardest part on the journey other than the initial? The hardest part, I, I remember it very clearly. I was in my hospital bed. This guy came in and he said, I'm a physiotherapist. I'm going to teach you how to stand again. And at that point, I was in so much pain. I said, no, thank you. Get out of my room. And he didn't listen to me. He walked over to my bed and he pulled me upright and he jerked my legs over the side and he grabbed me by my shoulders and he pulled me up onto my feet. And I just remember sobbing and crying all over this poor physio. And it was because it was at that point I realised the extent of my injuries to start with. But I also, the penny dropped, I realized that my journey back to health and my recovery was going to be a process of many, many years. So that was the hardest point. I'm going to guess there were many times when you didn't want to live. Is that true or not true? And how did you uh, persevere through that? I think at the start, because I was in, I'd just come out of an induced coma. Um, I couldn't talk, I couldn't communicate, and I was in a lot of pain. So I remember my partner, Michael, he, he was looking at me into my eyes and he said, oh, darling, I'm, I'm so, so happy you're still here. I'm so happy you survived. Aren't you happy? And I remember at that time I couldn't speak, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm not happy because this what, what I'm going through right now is so painful and so horrendous that I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. And, and how did you, how did you lift your own self out of that? I mean, I'm guessing you had yeah. some therapist helping you. I'm guessing you had some 
mental health counselors. And I'm trying to put myself in your yeah. position. I would think at some point, lots of points, you'd, you'd want to give up. Yeah, so what I did, what I did, Scott, is I didn't spend all of my energy focusing on my old life. And I didn't spend all my energy focusing on what my life might look like. Would I need a carer? Would I be able to do this for myself? Would I be able to do that? What will I look like in five years' time? I didn't focus my energy on those types of things because I really big picture ideas that no one, not even the doctors, could really tell me about. So what I did is I would break it down into little chunks and literally just focus on getting through the day. And I would say to myself, right, what's what's one thing that I could do today that would make this day a win? What's one thing I could do today that would make this day a success for me? Don't worry too much about the future. You can get to that later. Let's just focus on taking it one day at a time. And for me, a good day or a successful day might be that I walked 10 steps further. It might be that I did really well in my Tuesday session. It might be that I ate all of my lunch. And part of me thought that those little steps or those little achievements were pathetic because I was an athletic engineer who was a go-getter and who was super ambitious. But I had to stop comparing my life to what it used to look like. And I think that's a really good example for all of us because, you know, you can be really satisfied with your life as it is now and you can jump on, let's say, social media, have a scroll and then feel really shit about your life because you're comparing it to somebody else's. Mm. So in times like that, I remind myself that if you're constantly comparing your life to someone else's, that means you are too self-focused and you should try and put your focus on something outside of yourself, whether that's being of service to someone or creating some really great work or some really great content or being kind to your neighbour. So just shifting the focus outside of yourself and also practising gratitude for me is also a really effective way to cut through that comparison. This is a bit of a sensitive question, but I think you can shed a lot of insight to everybody who's watching and listening. Uh, someone like myself who's you know, fully able-bodied, have had very little you know, challenges physically in life, and for every obvious you know, effort, I'm you know, not burned and I'm, um, like I said, able-bodied. What advice would you give to the vast majority of people who are like me that encounter someone in your situation with obviously you know, very visible, obvious scars from your accident? How do you like to be treated by strangers? Do you like for people to come up and, and, and obviously, I'm guessing, treat you just as if you were like them? Do you like for people to ask you about what happened in your life? What, what, what maybe protocols or boundaries would you just kind of share? I'm sure people are interested right yeah. now to know. When we encounter someone so, like you, what, what, do, what do you like? So, so, Scott, can I ask you a question? Please. What would you like? I would be comfortable with anything. I, I'm a fairly confident person. Yeah. I think I would be very comfortable with anyone asking me questions that could help them or educate them or inspire them. I probably would be a bit of an open book, I'm guessing. Yeah. So I guess that's the, that's the advice I would give to people is just to think about how you would feel if you were in that person's position. So try walking in that person's shoes 
And if you would be comfortable with someone asking you those types of questions and go for it, ask it. And if you think maybe I wouldn't like it if someone treated me like that, then you have your answer there as well. So I think, I think that comes down to a bit of um, human empathy and, and decency for each other as well. Well said. Tell me what you'd like for people to learn from your horrific incident and your recovery and your tireless spirit. What would you like for people to take from this nearly 10-year journey that you've been on? I really think it would be to invest in their relationships. I mean, there's been a lot of studies done on happiness. Relationships are so fundamental to that. And yet it's something that we take for granted a lot of the time. I know I did before I had my injuries. And making sure that you are spending time with friends and family and loved ones because at the end of the day, when it all fades away, when it boils down to the wire, they will be the experiences that you will remember the most. So I would definitely say to, to, to reconnect with your friends and family and your loved ones. Can you share the fate of the other runners that were with you? What happened yeah. to them? What's their journey been like as well? Look, all of the other runners are so um, gung-ho. They have recovered extremely well. There was another woman who was badly burnt as well, and she's amazing. She works at the coroner's court, and she does all sorts of crazy running races. She did Marathon de Sable. I don't know if you know that one, Scott, but it's a 250-kilometer ultramarathon through the Sahara Desert. Uh, one of the men, Michael Hull, just did a... I think it was 700 kilometer ultra marathon through the Arctic Circle. So they are all very strong willed, very strong minded. And I think the fact that we were all athletic people helped us on our journey because I think, especially in endurance races like, like an ultra marathon, you go through times that you're really hard and which are really shit and you you learn to persevere and you learn to keep putting one foot in front of another. And I really believe that that's what we've all done. I mean, you didn't just survive. You didn't just recover. You've come back into all practical appearances in reading your story. You've thrived. I mean, you are continuing to be an athlete. You are a mother to two children now, is that right? Two or? I have one child and I'm, I am, Three weeks away from my second one. That's what I thought. I saw some pictures, I think, yeah. on Instagram yeah. or such. You're very pregnant, aren't you, as a matter yes, of fact? Very so, yeah. Well, congr <laughs> congratulations to that. Uh, it's Honestly, it's humbling to be in your presence right now. I'm honored that you joined us today from across the world to share your story. I would love to have all of our listeners and viewers know, how can they learn more about you? How can they learn more about your journey? Do you accept keynote speeches? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you do. Can you talk a bit about how people can, can bring you to their organizations and to their communities to share your story. Yeah, so I would, I would say the best place for people to go to find out a little bit about me is to join my letter gang. I send out um, a heartfelt, a personal uh, email once a week to my letter gang. There's about, uh, I think there's 70,000 people on that, that, that email group now. And that's where people can find out a little bit more about me and my life and what I'm up to as well. Or if they want to book me for a speech or uh, something like that, they can go to my website, tarepit.com. 
And for my letter gang, it's tariapitt.com forward slash letter. Taria, thank you so much. Such an honor to have you. I appreciate it. The book is extraordinary. Everything to live for. You have a couple other books that you've authored as well. Would you speak to those for those who are interested in learning more about you and your journey? Yeah, so my most recent book is called Good Selfie. I guess you could describe it as like a fun self-help book for kids because, you know, when you've got kids, whatever it is that they're reading has to be super engaging. Otherwise, I will just switch off and return to gaming and iPhones and Instagram and all that type of stuff. So that one's called Good Selfie. That's my most recent book. And I'm working on another book at the moment about happiness, but that won't be out until a little later on in the year. Hey, I'd like to finish with um, the, the confluence of fires that are happening right now in Australia. I imagine you're asked this question. Um, what memories, what uh, feelings does it bring up to see much of your country that's been stricken by these fires right now? Um, and how can people help from around the world? Yeah, so for sure, my, the area where I live has been really badly affected by fires. I've had friends and, and loved ones losing their properties. I've had people evacuating from their homes. And so it's been a really hard time for our community. Um, and when the fires first started happening, it's been going on for around a month now, I was almost paralysed by my past experiences. But it, it, it's kind of similar to what I said earlier because I was just I was just thinking about how all of it was affecting me, but I wasn't putting my focus and energy into how it might be affecting others and what I could do to help them out. So I actually created something really awesome with a good friend. It's called Spend With Them. So it's an Instagram page profiling all of the local businesses up and down the South Coast, which is the area where I live, but also fire-affected communities from all around Australia. And there'll be a little business profile on the page. So, for example, a homeware store in the little village of Milton. And you can jump on the page, you can buy from that store and then support that local economy and put money into the pockets of people who really need it right now. So it's a really cool little page. It started like 10 days ago. It's already got 200,000 followers. So if anyone wants to know how they can best help Australians and in particular small businesses in Australia, which are really doing it tough at the moment, jump on the Spend With Them Instagram page and, and show your support by buying something with them. It's called Spend With Them. Is that right? Spend With Them, correct. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, Tria, I'm honored in your presence. Thank you for joining us. Your book is compelling. Your story is unrelatable, but inspiring. Thank you for being a guest on Leadership Today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been our honor. Uh, A sobering journey, and you have to read this book, Everything to Live For. And uh, I think what a great call to action to help our, our, our friends and neighbors in Australia. It's been with them. Join that as well. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you back next week on On Leadership.